Hey guys, it's Dave. I'm an eight-year-old student at WeGo, and today we're going to be talking about polar bears and climate change. Today we're going to be interviewing Peter Molnar. Peter, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Peter Molnar. I'm a professor in the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of Toronto Scarborough in Canada. And I lead the Laboratory of Quantitative Global Change Ecology here in the department, which I know is a mouthful, but essentially that means we are looking at how climate change um, is impacting ecosystems around the world. How did you get into the field? What inspired you? That is an excellent question, um, and I don't have a very short answer for you, but I'll tell you a little bit about how all this came together. Um, briefly, I, you know, I always grew up with a, with a love for nature, and I spent a lot of time outside, and I was always wondering how these things work. But at the same time, I was also growing up in a big city, which really means that I did not know what ecology was. I did not know how it could be used to understand nature. And I certainly had no idea how to get a job in this field. So what happened in my, in my case, um, uh, after high school, when I first came to university, I actually did not study biology. I studied mathematics. Um, this was in the late 1990s. And, you know, at the time, it's not like today that we were always talking about climate change and, and, and these big problems. I did not know anything about these things. So after I studied mathematics, I slowly started to think, okay, how can I actually apply this to ecosystems? And I need, needed to, to look around quite a bit. And, and eventually I found myself um, uh, a lab here in Canada where they were connecting these ideas that I have studied, mathematics of how you how you use that to understand ecosystems. And ultimately, I met a guy who was working on polar bears, and he was asking me about whether we can use these, um, these tools that I have to understand how climate change um, is, 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 is affecting their populations, whether they'll be declining, how things are going to move forward from here. And then from then, one thing led to another. You know, I got more and more immersed in these biological questions, more and more immersed in in questions of climate change and what it means for ecosystems, mammals, and then also humans. Who are some of your mentors in the field? That, that's a question that is very difficult to answer, and, and I can't really do it in a short time, simply because there were so many people that have influenced me on my way to doing what I'm doing today. Um, if you think about climate change, it's actually a really difficult problem because you need to understand something about the climate, of course. You need to understand something about human actions and how it changes the climate. You need to understand something about ecosystems and how these changes affect ecosystems. And then, of course, you also need something about uh, some idea about the mathematics, the statistics, the science that, that allows us to to understand the data that we collect from the field. So when you ask me what kind of mentors I have, I want to name a person from it, from at least, or I want to name a person from each and every one of these fields. So for example, when I came first um, to Canada, to the University of Alberta to study here, um, 
before my uh, PhD, I met this guy who uh, has been working all his life on polar bears, and he basically asked me how I would feel working on, uh, on climate change impacts on polar bears. And he showed me how uh, I can connect these, these scientific ideas that I have with the system at hand. At the same time, I had a, an incredible mentor in the mathematics department that showed me how can I build a model for polar bears and how can I use those to understand climate, impact, uh, climate change impacts. Then I had a third mentor uh, as I went on and on in my career that then taught me how I can understand um, not just the climate change impacts on mammals, but also on their diseases and various other smaller organisms. So the point is, the longer I went in my career, the more and more I had to learn. It was very different people that taught me along the way. Whenever you talk about mentors, I'm just generally thinking about the people that taught me through my life, that inspired me and that motivated me. And one person in particular sticks out because, you know, the people that I mentioned, they taught me at a university level of how to understand polar bears and climate change. But I had, a, I had one teacher in high school who uh, was actually um, a mathematics and physics teacher, and he just encouraged me every day to pursue my ideas, to pursue what I'm passionate about, and, and to look into these things, just like you are doing right now. And that, to me, was one of the most inspiring things, to find somebody that, that, uh, that tells you you can achieve all these things, you can look into all these things, and show me a way of how to do this. What is the current state of climate change in large mammals? Current state of climate change on large mammals. Um, well, uh, again, it's a bit difficult to answer very briefly because there are, well, for several reasons. First of all, there are so many species out there, and climate change will impact all of them differently. And second, you're asking me about the current change of climate, uh, uh, the, sorry, the current state of how climate change impacts mammals. And the problem is that the current state is always changing. Um, as you know, the climate, the, the climate is changing. Ten years from now, we expect something completely different uh, than today. So by the time we have looked at all the mammals, how they're affected, everything might have changed already again. Now, having said that, um, I actually thought I'd give you a couple examples um, about some species where we do know how climate change is impacting them. So, first of all, uh, obviously polar bears. Um, you know a lot about polar bears, I heard. Um, they are impacted by climate change because uh, they need sea ice to be able to hunt their prey, which are seals. If you don't have sea ice, then they cannot get to the seals and they don't have the food that they need to essentially be fat and produce baby polar bears and to live for, uh, for, for uh, 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 their entire lives. So without, without uh, access to food, we're, we're going to see troubles in polar bears. First, they're going to be less fat than they used to be. Then they're going to be uh, producing less babies. They're going to be dying more easily. So things look rather bleak for the bears because they depend so directly on the sea ice. Having said that, polar bears are not the only species that are impacted by climate change. Um, first of all, I mean, if we're talking about mammals, 
let's think about humans. Um, humans are affected by climate change for a million reasons, but if you just look at some of the most direct problems, if we have a large heat wave, like we had a couple years ago in India, a few more years back in Europe, with these heat waves, a lot of people, especially elderly people, are dying. And uh, so that's definitely a negative effect of climate change. Um, if you look at some other mammals, for example, uh, one, one mammal that I'm, that I'm working on a lot is caribou. Um, they're also up in the north in Canada. And so they are also experiencing similar changes as the polar bears. Um, now, in their case, the, the, the problems are, uh, are more complex. Because what, ha what essentially happens is the caribou need uh, to have flowers and grass to eat on when they arrive at the grounds where they give birth to young caribou. But uh, climate change is making the environment warmer, which means that the flowers are blooming earlier before the caribou actually arrive in this area. So when they're there and when they're trying to feed a lot so that they can give birth and then feed their young, they don't have as much to eat as they used to because all the flowers have already bloomed in the past. So my point is, uh, of course, we're looking at large mammals and the climate change impacts, but in order to understand them, we need to look at why things are changing, and often they're connected to their food and the plants and all these things that are not mammals, but that these mammals rely on them. And uh, there's one last thing I'll say to this. If you think of a mammal, they have a pretty constant body temperature. It's always, like in humans, it's always around 38 degrees. When the climate gets warmer, you're still going to have the same body temperature. But if you take something like a lizard, um, when it gets warmer, it changes the body temperature because it directly depends on what temperatures you have. And if the temperature of the, that lizard changes, then it will uh, maybe not be able to move as fast, like it's too hot or to, uh, for it to, 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 to move. If it doesn't move, it can't hunt. If it can't hunt, it won't eat, et cetera, et cetera. So there's all these little small effects that hang together to determine how an ecosystem changes, and mammals are just sitting at the top of it all. How do you use data to better understand climate change? For the same reasons that I said, there's so many mammals and so many cases, so everything, every case will be a little bit different. But if you look, for example, at polar bears, like I said, they need seals for food. In order to access seals, they need sea ice. Um, so when you have less sea ice, they're going to get less food, and that in turn means that they're going to be less fat. If they're less fat, they're not going to be able to produce as many babies, um, so their reproduction is going to go down. That in turn means that you might have less polar bears in the future. So when we're trying to understand how the climate alters or changes, um, changes how polar bears will fare in the future, these are the things that we need to look at. We need to first look at, well, how much are they eating under different conditions? How much, how much food do they get when there's lots of ice versus how much food do they get when there's not so much ice? We need to look at climate models so we understand how the ice will be changing in the future.
And then from the polar bears, we need to look at how all these changes have changed their body conditions. Are they fat? Are they not fat? Are they having babies? Are they not having babies? How many? And then take all of this together and try to calculate how the total numbers of polar bears will change uh, as it gets warmer. How are you using data to predict the future of climate change? And what does the future currently look like? I'm going to use the example of polar bears. And basically, uh, it comes down a little bit to the things that I already said. But uh, let's break this down. So ultimately, you know, one of, this, one of the big questions that an ecologist would be interested in is, are there going to be more polar bears in the future? Are they going to be the same number as today? Or are there going to be less polar bears than the future? In order to calculate that, we need to look at the rates of birth and the rates of death. How many, how many babies are they producing and how long do they live? And uh, to do these calculations is rather complicated, but I think you can imagine uh, the, the basics relatively easily. If you have more deaths in a population, then you have birth. That means the population will decline. You're going to have less polar bears in the future. If, you, on the other hand, you have more births, so more babies than, bear, than old bears dying, then you're going to have an increase in the population because now you have more and more bears. So what we need to try to understand is how these two things change. How does the reproduction of the polar bears change and how does the mortality of the polar bears change as they don't have enough food? And so what we're then trying to do is essentially calculate if you have a certain amount of sea ice, how many seals are you going to catch? How fat does that make you? And then depending on how fat you are, how many babies will you have and how long can you live? And then we calculate, are there more births than deaths or vice versa? And then from that, we can try and begin understanding how many bears we'll all have in the future. When we do all these calculations, um, of course, uh, well, we get, we get some predictions for the future of polar bears. And there is uncertainty in all of these things, which basically means we can't predict perfectly. Nobody has a crystal ball to say there's going to be exactly 15,000 polar bears in the future. But we can sort of calculate probabilities of what is the most likely number of bears that we're going to have. And if we do that, um, well, in one word, the future, unfortunately, for bears looks relatively bleak. Um, what this means is, well, we basically have four different regions where we have polar bears. We have, uh, and all of these are defined based on how much sea ice they have, which then relates to how much food they have. So one population is just north of us here in Canada, in Hudson Bay, where the sea ice melts every summer, and then it goes, uh, and then the bay freezes over again every winter. So this means the bears come on shore during the summer and they don't have any food. They just wait for the ice to come back when they can go back and feed on seals. And then they feed on seals over the winter, et cetera, et cetera. These populations are unfortunately not very likely to still be there uh, in the future because they are the ones that are the most southern and therefore they're the first to be affected. 
The other three populations are probably going to be there for a little bit longer. Um, I'm sorry, the other three regions will be there for a little bit longer. Um, but slowly, bit by bit, we are probably going to lose at least two of these regions, which means ultimately polar bears are probably, uh, it's hard to say how much longer we'll have them or whether, whether they'll uh, persist in some areas or they'll go completely extinct. Right now, our thinking is the best guesses are that we're going to lose about two-thirds of all polar bears that we currently have by about middle of the century, so 2050. Beyond that, things will further go down, and there's one area in the north in Canada where you have all these islands. It's called the Arctic Archipelago. And what this does is that between the islands, you have a lot of, uh, well, essentially ocean channels where the ice persists for a lot longer, and that is good polar bear habitat. So we're thinking in the long run, that might be the area where polar bears are the most likely to stick around. Everywhere else, we're looking at large, large losses and, and population declines. What changes can we make in our daily lives to help reduce the impacts of climate change? Right. Um, that's a very good question. Um, I always answer this question in, 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 in two different ways, because there are really, well, there are really two ways how we are currently affecting the environment. One is through our own personal lives, the things that you do every day. The others, the other thing are big companies, big uh, factories that produce all the things that we rely on. Um, so they're, they're, every one of us is, is polluting the environment not just through the things we, 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 not just whether I heat my house or not, but also through the things we're buying, through the things we're consuming. So there, is an, there are elements that you can change in your personal life, and there are elements that need to be changed by big politics, our government, our leaders. So what I would always say is, of course, we all need to change our lifestyles. And there are a lot of things that we can all do. Uh, we could fly less, we could all eat less meat. Um, if you're driving with a car, make sure that you're carpooling, put as many people as, as uh, don't, don't all drive in separate cars, put them all in the same car, and similar things. So essentially trying to find ways to reduce the pollution that we ourselves are causing. Um, other things go into this like, uh, avoid, avoid using plastic wherever you can. Try and reduce the trash that we have. Not everything goes towards climate change, but a lot of everything goes towards having a healthier environment. The other thing is um, big politics, unfortunately, determines our lives to some degree that we don't always have a direct influence on. It will be our governments and our leaders who make a lot of the really important decisions these days. And so when I look at all these young kids going on the streets with Fridays for Future and all these uh, things that they're starting now to, to, to raise more awareness for their futures. That is exactly the right way to go about it because your voices need to be heard. You need to put that pressure on the government to make sure that your future is not ignored. For those 
who want to learn more about climate change, what resources do you recommend? Okay, um, so this is the question where I can't really, which I can't really answer very well. Basically, because there are so many sources out there. You know, you just have to turn on the TV, open a newspaper, go on YouTube. There's a million things where we can all inform ourselves. Two things that I would say, though. Um, first of all, it, it depends a little bit on your age, your knowledge, um, what you currently know. So if you're asking me, how can we inform ourselves? My answer to you will be very different to somebody who's maybe in their 40s and, and has already thought about these things or not. For most people, I would say, you know what, go on YouTube, go open some newspapers. There's so many information pieces out there to learn. Just make sure that you get the good information. Um, for, for people like your parents, for, uh, I would say, do that, but at the same time, don't just rely on what the newspapers tell you. Um, the biggest international organization that is currently looking at how climate change is affecting our lives is called the International Panel uh, for Climate Change, the IPCC. And they produce a report every five years or so of where we're currently at. These reports are very technical and difficult to read, but they also produce, a, I want to say, a four or five page summary that everybody can understand and everybody can read. So in times where sometimes, you know, uh, we open newspapers and depending on what you read, you might get real information or you get fake news. I would say go to the source, read directly what the scientists are saying. The scientists are the, one, are the ones that dedicated their lives to understanding how the climate is changing and how this in turn affects ecosystems and humans. So go ask the scientists, talk to the scientists. Don't take the opinions of other people for granted if they can't back it up with scientific data and evidence. That's, that's, the, thing, that's the most important piece that we currently have and that's what we need to act on as a society. Thank you for listening to the podcast and a big thank you to Peter for being on the show today. See you next time on Polar Race Climate Change and You.